0: We're at the very beginning of a series on God's will. We are not like a lot of groups where we kind of just, uh, just touch it for one week. We're going to be on this subject for a little while, so join us. If you miss a week, all our talks get podcasts online so you can kind of catch up. First of all, before we spend six Sunday nights or whatever it's going to take to get through this series, we always start off with a justification of why spend any of God's precious time on a subject like this. So here are my pitches to you. Why study God's will? First, I think the words, it's God's will, are probably some of the most abused words in the Christian doctrine. We think everything's God's will, maybe, we're going to talk about that tonight, but sometimes we use it in a way that maybe is hurtful or not theologically correct, so maybe it makes sense to figure out what it means. Two, a lot of us spend time looking for God's individual will for our life. This series is kind of designed to look for that. Is there such a thing as an individual will for your life? Because if there is, let's figure out how to find it and stop running around. It's like all these Christians running around like, what's the will? What's the will? Where is it? Where is it? And if it's not there, then maybe we should just move off of that topic and stop looking for it. So we're going to be spending time in this series digging into a very controversial question. Does God have an individual will for every person in this room? A lot of us like to think so. We're going to go through it and find out. Number three, a lot of Christians have difficulty articulating the tension between saying God is in control of all things, he's sovereign over all things, but I have free will and free choice. And it trips up a lot of Christians, and truthfully, it trips up even more non-Christians. And we can't really articulate it well, so we're going to try. We're going to do a little bit of that here. And finally, Christians have so many questions about God's will that it's got to be a topic that we're not covering well in the church. That's why we're going to do it here. Now, on the topic of so many questions, we'll get there in just a second. So here's where we're going. Tonight, we're going to talk about God's sovereignty a little bit. And in the coming weeks, we're going to cover all of these topics. The view of looking at individual will for your life, trying to understand, is there such a thing? We're going to critique it a little bit. We're going to try to figure out how do we figure out God's guidance? How do we actually do the will of God once we figure it out? And finally, just looking at some tough questions that you have asked us. So last week, this is where we started. Last week, we started with what we call the teaser. That's when, in an open forum, we asked you to take out a piece of paper and write down the questions that you had about God's will. Whatever question you had, we collect them and we start to go through them. And the way we set up our series is, of course, we have a direction in the way we're going to go. We're reading a bunch of books, and I'll refer to some of them tonight if you want to join us in those. If you don't have enough reading to do in school, you can read some more books. But these are the questions we asked. Number one, just tell us what questions you have about God's will. Write them down for us. And number two, if you're someone who's seeking out God's will, why are you seeking God's will? Something that we almost never stop to ask. Why do I even care what God's will is? Like, that's not spiritual to ask that question, but we wanted to find out why. Well, here were some of the questions you asked. And uh, just to tell you, just so that you can uh, brace yourself, this is one of three screens of questions. Apparently, this topic has a lot of interest because if you have any reason, if you're sitting there right now thinking, why would I spend time with this crazy group going through these questions? Well, because I can guarantee most of you have these questions just to help you out a little bit. For those of you who are a little bit eyesight challenged, I'm just going to read the questions and I want you to just meditate for a moment and think, do I have these same questions? Here they are. What is the definition of God's will? Can we ever know what God's will is? Is there such a thing as the perfect will of God? Where in the Bible is the idea of multiple wills of God? Does God have specific plans, down to the day and down to the minute? How specific or vague, or in parentheses, general is God's will? Does God's will change? If so, how is that accomplished? Through prayer, sin, fasting, righteousness? If God's will can change, does he know that it's going to change? Does he plan to change it? Can you change God's will? Do we have the right to change God's will? Like, do we know better than God? If God's will cannot change, then why is an individual responsible for sin? Does man have the ability to thwart or hinder God's will? If someone else changes God's will, do, they, do their actions change God's will for me? Can I force God's will? How small can things be and still be included in God's will? Does God ever will bad circumstances or trials to happen to make us stronger? Does God's will include sin? Does it include pain, suffering, the fall and the cross? Is it God's will if I'm born with a disease? If all our days are written like the Bible says and God chooses us, then why does he punish the people he doesn't choose? It seems like God creates sinners and then punishes them for being so. If God knows what will happen in the future and knows that he has the ability to shape the future, then does God's will include all events? How is the Old Testament calling different from today? Does God have a will, a plan for events after the second coming? Well, you guys were reaching on that question. Does God have a will for non-Christians? We're going to answer every one of those tonight. <laughs> no, no, no way. You curious? Yeah. Good questions? Some of you, Some of you wrote so many questions, you filled up multiple cards. That's okay. These are God's will questions in general. Let's look at a couple of them that you cared about, about his individual will. How do I know God's will for my life? Does God get involved in every aspect of my life? Does he care about every single decision I make? If not, what are my prayers supposed to be like? Should I just ask God to bless me in all of my projects? Is there a perfect plan for my life? How can I discover it? What if I don't have a will? Do we all have the same will? If God does have a certain will for us, what consequences are in store for those who disobey? Will God be mad at you <laughs> like that? Will God be mad at you if you don't do His will or if you can't figure out His will? How do you know if He calls you to full-time ministry? How do we test what God's will is for our lives? Is it a sin or just a preference not to follow His will? Can we pray to change God's will for my life? How can I tell the difference between God's will and my own will? Can my will be God's will? People have told me that God totally wanted them to have something like a parking spot. I don't think I agree. Has anyone ever heard God's voice as a call to do something? Is it true that if I have a passion for something, then it's probably God's will? If something keeps coming up in conversations or on TV, could that be God or is that just a coincidence? Can we discern God's will based on a feeling? If the most important thing is to love God and others, what does that entail? Wow. There's some more questions. And finally, the ones that most of you really care about. Will I ever get married? (laughs) Does God care who I marry? It's amazing how many marriage questions I got, you know? Does God have a specific person for me to marry, like a soulmate, or are there many positive choices, you know? Does He ask some to remain single? Is there a mate out there for everyone? Look, well, you guys a little worried, or what? What's going on? Was it God's will for me to marry the person I married? Now, hold on a second, because there's only one person I know in here who's kind of married, and I wonder why they're asking. I wasn't here last week. Yeah, well, that. It's disturbing when you're reading this and you find out that your own wife wrote in (laughs) Was it God's will for me to marry the person I married? Like, I had this crisis of faith this week. Maybe she wasn't sure. (laughs) We're going to answer that, too. Of course, the answer is, of course. Does God have a will for my finances? Is it okay for me to make money and live comfortably? What if what I want to do is a childhood dream, something secular and not something like saving Africa? What's the difference between a search for purpose and the pursuit of happiness? Is it God's will that I eat at Alberto's? Well, it is an interactive forum. You're allowed to ask whatever you want, and we'll be trying to answer it gosh that is so much stuff and it just reinforces once again if we have this many questions and i got to tell you some of you in here have probably thought of a few more and if you do what i want to encourage you to do is you guys have there's cards in the back you can write some down you can email them if we are if this if this isn't enough and you have one that hasn't been asked send it into us what we're going to be doing is trying to understand god's will let's move forward tonight I'm not going to go through them one by one. In fact, we're not going to do that till the end of the series. We're going to spend time in God's word and see how he answers. Okay? One last thing. We asked, why do you want to know God's will? And I think it's kind of interesting because not many people ask that. It's kind of one of those things in Christianity like, duh, you got to do God's will. Well, actually, why would any of you really want to know? Here's some of the answers we got back from you. God is the wisest being, so it's best to seek wisdom from the source of true wisdom. That's what I call the fortune cookie theory. You know, like, hey, you know what? Better get it from him than anybody else, so you might as well do that. So I can know exactly what to do and won't have to figure it out. That's the lazy man's theory, the lazy woman's theory. Like, just tell me. It'll be so much easier. To be able to please God by doing specifically defined acts that he wants accomplished. It's kind of a pure thought. We said last week, maybe God has done so much for us that we could at least say, what do you want me to do in return, if anything? To know that you have a specific purpose, to know your life has a specific meaning to it. There's also a lot of honesty in that one. It almost yearns that we want to have some sort of meaning and purpose in this life. We don't want to just be glorifying God in general. We like to glorify it in specifics. We like to know what it means. And maybe that's something we have to search our hearts for. Are we always searching for significance? Would it be okay if God said, I don't really have any plans. Just hang out and worship me. Would we be okay with that? To have freedom and peace of mind So that you can do whatever you're supposed to do and not feel guilty over the thought that you're not doing the will of God. So some of us, maybe we feel guilty that we're missing it somehow. Those are some honest reasons. Okay, here's where we start tonight. We're going to be covering three aspects of God's will. God's sovereign will, God's moral will, and God's individual will for your life, if it exists. We're not doing all that tonight. We're barely going to scratch the surface tonight as we move through all these questions. Let's start with God's sovereign will. Will here's the question: If God is sovereign, if God is in control of all things, if His plan must be accomplished the way He wants it to be, how does our freedom work into that? And some of you that were the questions you guys were were grappling at, like if He ordains all things, then how can He punish me if I don't do the right thing? How does He hold us accountable? That's the question we start with tonight. Here's the first one. Let's be clear. It's impossible for us to fully understand this nature of God. I know that many theologians have tried. The reason I know that is because I've been reading a lot of them this last week and the week before. And there is a debate for sure about the true nature of God's sovereignty and our free will. And we are not going to slide into an entire debate on predestination tonight. But we are going to skim the surface of it. Because it's kind of important to this question. So first, let's be humble and start off and understand that we serve an infinite God. We're never going to figure it out. But it is possible for us to at least say there are some things about God we're never going to fully know. This might be one of them. But having said that, we can read Scripture. Scripture is clear that God knows the future and that because of his sovereignty, he's in control of all things. He's sovereign and he's in control. Scripture tells us that. Where does it say that? Let's read some Scripture for a second so you're not just hearing my voice. It's Matthew 5.8, For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Psalms 129, 1, 1 through 4, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. In Colossians we read, For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Daniel 4.35 says, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? You can agree that God is sovereign. Anyone disagree? So how do you work out for yourself the tension between God's sovereignty and his free will? You want to take a stab at it? Do you feel that you're free sitting here? Can you make a choice? I think it's a choice. Okay. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Are you saying that your choice can thwart God? Because somebody asked that. Can my choices thwart God's will? Look at this verse. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. So right there, we know one of the questions that's on the screen has already been answered. Can you thwart God's will? What's the answer? No. Can't thwart God's will. But what if you want to do something different? Does that mean that God's going to take over your free will and hijack it? And say, you're trying to thwart my will. I'm not going to let you. And if he does that, does that leave you with any free will? Look at Ephesians 1.11. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. Now we could get dragged into the chosen part, but look at the according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. You see, the reason this is an important question, it's not just theoretical. It's not theoretical because you're going to make a decision in your life. And it depends on whether you believe that God is in control or whether you believe we have some freedom. Look at these examples for a second. I'm going to give you an example. Let's do one about a Christian college. We're kind of here. Consider a Christian college. It launches a capital improvement campaign. And it's finding it difficult to raise money. Some administrators assume that if God wants the new buildings, he will supply the money. Do you believe that? You one of those people that says, hey, if God wants new buildings on campus, he'll provide the money. So if the money doesn't come in, it's not God's will. On the other hand, you have other people in the same university who say if the money doesn't come in it might be because we need to change the people in the development office. Maybe we're not trying hard enough. Maybe we need to bring in somebody who's a fundraising specialist. Maybe we're not giving God our best because we're not trying hard enough. We're not asking the right people. What do you think? Which one's right? I was going to say all of them could be right. Okay. It might be that he- office but i also believe that we live in god's economy so in his provision and in his plans and purposes this is the will of god we're certain about it they have a meeting you know the board of trustees and the board of directors and they say we're sure that we're we need the funding for this but then at the same time maybe they don't have the right people working in those places to help bring in the but it's still god's economy so both of those would be right let me push back for just a second Would you be comfortable if I took like a big oil drum looking thing and just put it out on the sidewalk and wrote donations for our new science building on it, right? And just put it there and just said, if it's the Lord's will that we raise money for the science building, people are going to come by and just put money in there. And we don't need to do anything else. I mean, we've made provision. The Lord will raise the money and put it right there on like a foothill over there, like by the other parking lot. Just walk away. You okay with that? Yeah, Jonathan. That seems lazy to me. I mean, it's like, well, I'm I'm just gonna kind of sit back and relax while God does all the hard work. Trust God, maybe, but sometimes trusting God means investing your resources. And she's like, well, sometimes you do have to make make an investment and put effort um, to take the first step, and then have God do the rest, and just have, have God take care of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like what he said, I think there's a difference between us trusting in God and expecting that it's just going to land on your doorstep. Just because God can make it happen, that he's going to give you the ways that you will make it happen, not just a bunch of money in the bucket somewhere. But look at it from the will of God for a moment. If God didn't want this money to be raised, is it going to be raised? Do you think? Does anybody in here think we could raise it? So you guys obviously believe that God is in control, at least, of things he does not want to happen. If God does want it to happen, it's going to happen, right? You believe that? He either does or he doesn't, right? God isn't undecided. He's not in the middle of going, I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, he's probably up there like with a decision, like he knows either he wants it or he doesn't. So if he wants it, you put the drum out there, it's going to get filled. And if he doesn't, it's going to stay empty, right? Or does that just not sit well with you? God always answers our prayers, but not always in the way that we want them to be or that we see. Like, we could say we want the funding for it and put the bucket out there, but there could be something else happening over here and we get the money in a totally different way. So it could still happen because it's his will, but it doesn't always happen the way we want it to or the way we think it's going to happen. It's very wise. But you think if you really want it to happen, the money's going to come in some way. In some way. So are, would you be looking to fire some administrators who are not doing their job in fundraising? Or would you be the one who'd say, look, if the Lord wants it to happen, it's going to happen one way or another. We don't need to be stressed out about how it happens. Yes, but I think I'm so stress anyway. Okay, that's that's true, right? All right, I want to play the other side of the card. That's my job. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I, I believe to, to a certain extent that you have to work for it and you have to be responsible for what you're doing. But at the same time, it's like what happened about all those things about like... Uh, uh, like Moses, when God said, strike the rock or speak to the rock. Or with Peter, when he says, open the fish's mouth, and there's a coin there. Like that's stuff that God did, you know, and you didn't even have to work for it. Like God provided, and there was stuff that happened, you know. So I think that, I still think it works both ways. But in this case, God's not speaking to anybody, because it's true. In those cases, God spoke directly. Philip? If God wants it, I want to be part of doing what he wants. And so I might as well do everything I can to raise the money. And that doesn't mean just sitting up there with an oil drunk. That means actually going through all the effort, maybe firing some people, maybe restructuring like and trying to do what we think he wants, but still confident that if it happens, if, it, if he wants it to happen, it will happen without me or not. But I'd rather be a part of it, you know, so I can say, Hey, well, my guy at least did something he wanted me to do as opposed to, yeah, I knew it would happen, so I just let you do it. Can I- The other other example I was going to raise is very similar to that one. Let's say you're a missionary trying to decide whether I should go to this country or not. You're praying, Lord, do you want me to go to Thailand or not? Should I go to Thailand? And you're having trouble raising funding to go. Is that God closing the door, as some of us would say? Or are you just not an effective person? You don't know who to reach out to and talk to. I don't know that there's an answer. I will point out this, though. Whether you believe that God is in control all the time and will just work things out the way he wants, or whether you believe that our human effort somehow needs to be involved, the funny thing is people tend to switch depending on the situation. We're never one or the other. Like the university that would say, Oh no, 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 we can't just leave it up to God. We've got to go out there and get really, really busy. When someone is sick and dying in the hospital, they go, Let's leave it up to God. Because we are inconsistent. And it's partly because we have a hard time understanding. God's will and our free will and how they work together. Let's go back to this for a second. We have things already, we've established some things. We're never going to fully get it, so it's okay if we're uncomfortable and it's gray. Number two, it's clear that God knows the future and controls all things. Scripture says that. But it's also clear from the Bible that he does not take away our free will. Here's some verses that actually explain that. Like James says, when we're tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil. nor does he tempt. But when each one is tempted, it's by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. God is giving us freedom. Joshua stood in front of the people and said, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable, then choose. That means we have a choice on how we react to God's invitations. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your forefathers were the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Jesus, in Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, Jesus is standing, weeping over Jerusalem, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Showing again that we have some freedom to decide. Peter writes in 2 Peter three nine. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If he wanted it so badly, he was going to force our will to just be done. But he gives us the freedom. Look at Romans. This is important, and I'm going to skip to 9, Romans 9.19-21 9, through 21, because it's clear that not only do we have a choice, but we're also responsible for our choices. Paul is writing back to people who say, well, then why does God blame us? And he says, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? So there's Paul struggling with the very question we're asking. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common purposes? Think back to our friend Job who's struggling with God saying, all my friends are telling me that the reason this is happening is a lot of these crazy reasons. What's the reason? And God doesn't give him a reason. just says, who are you? Where were you when I formed the earth? Like that's the answer he gives them. Like I am God. Like you're asking? Just to tweak our thought just a last little bit here. Even in Acts, look how close these verses are. 1348 and 141. They're like four verses apart. There's an instance where God has called people to Himself, and there's an instance where we have free will to choose it, so close together. In 1348, it says when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. A lot of strong Calvinists cling to that and go, Ah, you see, man has no free will. God's sovereign will controls. If God wants to call you, you're there. But just a few verses down, it says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas were sent as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. They were able to convince people to believe. So what does all this mean? Well, we're not going to understand how it all works together because God is too infinite for our knowledge. In Romans Paul concludes kind of with a groaning and a praise to God at the same time. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him for from him and through him and to him? are all things to him be the glory forever amen you're not going to understand it fully but it does have a direct bearing on the series we're in so we had to start in this very difficult spot the very difficult spot being what does that intersection look like look at this for a second i'm going to try to draw it out maybe it'll help if you put sovereignty on one end of this time frame and free will over here there's a tension a natural tension in scripture there's a tension so all of the church for 2,000 years has been trying to figure out what's the correct tension. How do we solve it? We're going to solve it tonight. We're going to, 2,000 years, we're going to do it right here. <laughs> what's the right tension? You see, if you're an extremist on this side, you emphasize God's sovereignty only. There's a, I mean, we're talking about extremes now. You believe that God has predetermined everything. We have no real free will. So if you're searching for God's will, stop. He's already predetermined everything. Everything you do is his will. So don't even worry about it. Just stop. Yeah. God has predetermined everything. Does it trouble anybody? Any, who's troubled? Tiffany, why does it trouble you? In my personal perspective, it puts God in a box. Doesn't it put us in a box? Yeah. It just makes it seem like robots, you know, where God just pushes the button and we go, we stop, you know. I mean, I believe that there's, you know, God is a relational God. And I don't see any relationship, you know, in this extreme. All right, who else is at trouble? Who else was raising a hand? Why does it trouble you? Doesn't it say in the Bible, like, multiple times? It says both ways, but it says that we have free will. Yeah. So we just looked at some of the verses that are talking about choosing and choice and ability to, and we're responsible for our moral decisions. So, yeah, biblically, you'd have a problem with it. What was your comment? I don't like that if it's always predetermined, then some people could already be predetermined that they are going in hell. Yeah. Like, we want a fair God. We want a cool God, right? Not one who's already decided, like, from the beginning. Like, you people, know and you people, yes. But a lot of you had this question on your card. Like, that one that said, if he makes certain people, and he already chooses not to choose them, like, isn't he creating people just to basically send them to hell? That troubles us about God. Although some... Calvinists would say that's exactly right, but we're going to struggle with that a little bit. You're, you're in the right place. I don't mean to make fun of the comment. It's actually probably the thing that troubles me the most about this view. Here's the problem. There are verses on both sides about the whole debate over are we just predetermined and predestined and what does that mean, or do we still have some sort of choice in the matter? So to be fair to all the people who are like, wait a minute, I will say there are verses on both sides, and that's why people have been arguing for, for 2,000 years about this. So clearly some of you have a problem with him being so here that everything's predetermined. The one that troubles me is, does that mean that we're predetermined to sin? Does that mean we're predetermined to fail? Predetermined to fall? I mean, maybe it depends on what you mean by the word predetermined. But let's just take the word predetermined now because it's such a loaded word. Does God control every decision to the point that he controls us sinning against his will? Wow, that's kind of a tough extreme if you think of it that way. But look at the other extreme. What if you're over here? There are actually people who are so wedded to free will and believe it's the greatest among all the things we should champion that they actually say, I'm going to try to say this fairly. You know I'm already thinking it's a little bit goofy. (laughs) They actually believe that God is waiting with bated breath to find out what's going to happen in the end. That takes away God's omniscience. Like, God is sitting there thinking, what's going to happen? I wonder. I wonder how many people I'm going to get up in heaven. I don't know. Like, this is stressing me out. And he's waiting for time to happen. Does that trouble anybody? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's God. Like he is the creator. I'd like to hope that he's in control of something. Yeah. Would you want to worship a God who didn't know what was going to happen? Anybody else troubled by this? Yeah, Tiffany? Uh, to me, it just it makes as if God is playing a guessing game with himself. You know, I mean... I believe that God should know, know things to a certain degree. He's stressing over what's happening next. Yeah, it makes our God much smaller, I think. I agree with you. I think there's a balance right there. I don't know what it is, by the way. I have a book, if you want, I will recommend it to you, just to show you that we do, we do so much research for these talks. But there is one, one book called Predestination and Free Will. It's four theologians debating four different points on this continuum. If you're a person who wants to go deeper into understanding the role of God's sovereignty versus free will, I'll recommend this book to you. Come talk to me. Pick it up. It's tough. It's theological. Okay, It's not an easy read, but it will take you much deeper than I will in the next two minutes. But here is what one of them says that I think is the most convincing. One of the problems we have with God's foreknowledge and his predestination when we talk about it in the English language We, in our mind, and tell me, check yourself on this and tell me if this is true. We think of God sitting at the beginning of time, spreading this thing out in front of him. And we forget for a moment that God is beyond time and is eternal and does not have time. One of the ideas that I really liked out of this book is that his knowledge of things and his determination of them happen simultaneously At every moment, every instant, like to God, there is always now. There's not then and tomorrow because he doesn't have time. Now, if that doesn't bother your mind, read the book because I spent so long trying to understand it. And what I come down to is I think there are some middle grounds here in between an extreme that says that everything's been predetermined. Like we're in control like a robot and that God doesn't know what's going to happen. And he's just standing there waiting. And most people are somewhere in the middle where they're struggling between how much freedom do we have versus how little do we have. And it's a matter that we have some, but maybe not enough. Read this book if you want to go deeper. But here's where I want to take you tonight to close. We know that God is sovereign. We know we have some free will. I said from the beginning we're not going to figure it out. And since this is not a nine-week series on predestination, we're not going any deeper than we are right now. We're in a series on God's will. So God's sovereign will, God's moral will, and God's individual will for our lives. Tonight, we covered sovereign will. The real question you should be asking is, if it's so complicated and there's this sovereignty and free will, what does that mean for me trying to figure out God's will for my life? And here's what it means. Whatever relationship between sovereignty and free will there is, we're never going to figure it out for two reasons. One, it's mind-boggling from an infinite God. And number two, God's not going to tell you anyway, so don't worry about it. And by the way, I wrote down here that one thing that almost all theologians agree about, whether you're on the there is an individual will side or there's not, all seemingly, there's always some exception out there, but most all agree that God's sovereign will, we don't know until it happens. We just know that he's in control of all things for his ultimate plan. You don't need to sit around going, oh, Lord, reveal your sovereign will to me. Because he says... The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So you see that I say that we'll never figure out his sovereign will in advance. We'll always know as it passes what has happened. We go, that must be what the Lord wanted because it couldn't have happened without it. The only exception to that is when the Lord tells us in advance what he's going to do. We call that a prophecy. It's the only exception that I've found. And that's what he means by he says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed, the things that the Lord tells us, those are for us like promises so we can be sure of the Lord's word. When he tells us a prophecy like in Isaiah that happens in the time of Jesus, then we can be sure because it's like, wow, you told us what you were going to do, and it happened. Not just one, but over 300 different prophecies of what he was going to do just in Christ alone to give us assurance that unless somebody rewrote the whole Old Testament really fast, We know that his word is true and that his promises are true. Go back to Romans again. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable, meaning unknowable. You can't figure them out. How unsearchable his judgments, how his paths beyond tracing out. You can't even figure out where he's going. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? So if you have freedom or you don't, if this is all an illusion, he's controlling everything, or you have absolute freedom, it almost doesn't matter because in terms of trying to figure out God's will, his sovereign will, his ultimate plan for everything, the way he's going to work it all out, we can't know until he does it. We just can imagine God just looking at every single choice that's made of all the people that are alive every second of the day. Think of what that puzzle would look like. And God is sitting up there going, I could solve this in two steps to get what I want out of this. That's how smart I am and how big I am. He's looking at everything. It's like an infinite map. Well, it's not an infinite map, but it's a pretty big number of all the decisions of all the people who've ever lived. And he looks at it and goes, no problem. Still going to work out exactly the way I wanted it to. Is it because he's controlling it or just because he knows, because he's so smart, because he's so powerful, because he's shaping it all? That's where you guys can stay in the tension a little bit. and We can talk about it afterwards, but it really won't matter in terms of you figuring it out because God's sovereign will is kept from us until it happens you don't have to worry about is it your sovereign will that i marry this person or go to this school or take this job because god's like you could sin all you want even if you want to forget looking for my will you could try to thwart me in it so it won't work so in terms of the sovereign will don't worry about it next week we're going to cover god's moral will and then we're going to dive into the real questions that you guys have about what about the individual will okay the moral will is we're going to spend some time on it just to understand what it is. And then finally go through all the questions about God's individual will for our lives. I encourage you to stick with us and try to get through this. Tonight was a little bit tough because I'm trying to grapple with very theological debates, but I wouldn't be doing you a favor if we just skipped and said, ah, you can never know God's sovereign will, so just don't even worry about it. I at least wanted you to know what you're not going to worry about. Okay? (laughs) Now you know what you don't know. And you've become a little bit wiser. And I hope... I hope through all this theoretical and theological stuff, God got a little bigger tonight. I hope that when you look at God and you realize how infinite he is, that he just got bigger in your mind, not smaller. Let's pray and uh, wrap up with a little bit of worship. Lord, there is no way I can say it better than the apostle himself who says the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are your judgments. Lord, I just thank you that we have a place like this to meet, that we have time while while we're here on earth to learn more about you before we have eternity to learn more. And Lord, no matter how many years we spend, whether it's here or in the next life in eternity, because of your infinite nature, we will never fully comprehend you. We will never fully comprehend your triune nature. We will never fully comprehend the intersection of your sovereignty and the free will that you bestowed upon us as a gift. Or even the depth of your love, Lord, that you would send yourself, your own son, to die for us to redeem us, Lord. That is love beyond anything that humans could understand. And then you offer it as a free gift to people who rebelled against you. Every single day we rebel against you. Lord, these are unsearchable, unfathomable things, and we lay them tonight at your feet. Our joy, Lord, is just that we get to talk about them, debate them a little bit, and that, Lord, you entertain them and that you look down from heaven at your children who are just seeking to know you better. Lord, be magnified in our minds, in our eyes, in our hearts. You are a great God. And I pray tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit just be in this room with us as we worship you now. Hopefully you've gotten just a little bit larger in our minds. Pray this in your name. Amen.